top of your study sheet that we've been studying the book of Revelation now for the past 86 weeks. I, I, I messed up last week for those of you that uh, are discerning. Uh, you might want to go back to your study sheet last week. It said 86. It actually was 85. But we're in, we're in Revelation chapter 13. And when we came to chapter 13, I'm telling you, we came to what is one of the most incredible chapters of the entire Bible. In verses 1 through 10 of chapter 13, we talk about the ministry of the false prince. And this is the one that God refers to in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, the one that we most commonly refer to as the Antichrist. In fact, this is such a, a, a key passage of Scripture that we actually spent 10 weeks seeking to build a biblical composite of this false prince, this one who in the very near future is going to come on the scene. And what we saw is that this first beast that's talked about in the, ten, the first ten verses, this false prince, the rapture of the church is going to take place. The believers on this planet will be removed, and it's going to thrust this world into a, an incredible period of chaos and, and all types of tragedies that will be taking place. The world will desperately be looking for answers. This is the one. This is the false prince who Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2 says is going to come on the scene posing as Christ. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference if you saw the two of them side by side. I mean, this guy is going to be absolutely smooth. He is going to get the attention, the focus of the entire world. He'll come to a place of preeminence. And for three and a half years on this planet, he will be the man. Then after three and a half years... Something incredible is going to take place. The guy is going to get shot in the head with a sword, and he's going to be laying dead on the ground. And while that's taking place, something's going to be happening above him, and something's going to be happening below him. And what the Bible says is going to be taking place back in chapter 12 is that Michael and Satan will be in a battle. Michael's going to, as we talked about before, going to spank Satan like a two-year-old at Kmart, and he, Satan's going to be thrown down to the earth, and when he does... He is going to come into the body of that Antichrist that's lying dead on the street. While that's happening, the Bible tells us in chapter 9 of Revelation, chapter 11, that what is going to be happening at that very same moment is that the bottomless pit is going to be opened up. And Abaddon, Apollyon, the son of perdition, all of those, the same word, is going to be ascending out of that bottomless pit. And while Satan is coming into that body from above, what it says is the spirit of Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition, is going to be coming up from beneath, coming into this person, the Antichrist. And for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, the Antichrist will literally be Satan incarnate, while at the same time he will be Judas reincarnate. That's the first ten verses. Then last week we began looking at the second beast that John saw during this, this period of time, this last half of the, the tribulation period. In verses 11 through 18, we started talking about the ministry of the false prophet. And we looked, first of all, at the description of his person. That's Roman numeral one. The description of his person. And we saw, first of all, his identification. His identification. John says, And I beheld another beast, and we made a, a, a very distinct point to make sure that we all understood that this 
This second beast that he saw is not the first beast. It's not just another manifestation of the first beast. This is, as John said, another beast. And from this point in the, in the scripture, in the book of Revelation, he's referred to as the false prophet. We looked at his origin. John said he was coming up out of the earth as opposed to, if you look back in verse 1, the first beast came up out of the sea. Letter C, we looked at his appearance. It says that he had two horns like a lamb. You, you'd look at this false prophet and you'd look at him and there would be nothing that would freak you out about him. There'd nothing be frightful. You, 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 in fact, you'd be drawn to him like a, a little lamb. And yet at the same time, we understand lamb throughout the book of Revelation is in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He too is going to be a smoothie and he's going to look a whole lot like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then letter D, we looked at his voice. John says he, he looked like a lamb, but he said he spake as a dragon. His speech is controlled by the very devil himself. And the truth is, y'all, at this point now, okay, and you know right now, that's the fastest review that we've ever had in the history of mankind. And, and the truth is, we can, we can pick up where we left off last time, and, and we can put the rest of these verses into our little outline, and we can cross-reference them, and we can explain them, and we can all go out of here learning a whole lot more about this passage than we knew when we came in. But, but now listen, if you're ever really going to understand what's really shaken down here in Revelation chapter 13, you need to understand that the things that we're reading here in this chapter, now, now listen, the stuff that we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 13 is simply the final act of a drama that began at least 6,000 years ago. I mean, this is just the conclusion of the deal. And if this is all you get, you're going you're to have missed out on what this thing is, is really all about. Now, I say 6,000 years ago, it could have taken place 60,000 years ago. This drama could have started six million years ago. It doesn't really matter where you want to place it. All I want you to know is that this is simply the final act of a drama that began a real long time ago. And, and it's kind of like this. You've been out and you, you, you come back home, your family's sitting down, and they've been watching a movie for the last hour and 45 minutes. Okay? There's 15 minutes left on this thing, and you plop yourself down in the chair. They're all gone. And you're just kind of checking it all out. You know, I mean, they're just glued to this thing. And you know what? For the next 15 minutes, you can watch the show. And the truth is, you can figure a lot of the stuff out. It'll probably hold your interest in all of that. But you know how they do, right, like a quarter till, you know, the last 15 minutes, they, they break for the commercial. And the break is about, what, 10, 15 minutes long, something like that. I, I mean, you ought to count them anymore. I mean, they'll go 15 commercials in a row, and if there's a discerning person in your family, when that commercial break happens, they can save you about an hour and 45 minutes in about five minutes. And they can tell you, okay, now here's what's happening. You know how it goes. You know, you, you, you've done this deal, haven't you? You know, they, they sit and they try to give you this, you know, all the hour, first hour and 45 minutes of this thing in this little sweeping move. And listen, if they'll do that for you, and you got somebody that knows how the you know, little storyline things go, they can, man, they can help you out immensely, and then the, that show will come back on, and boy, for the last 15 minutes, you look just like the rest of your family, man. You're just glued to that thing, and I mean, you, you, you got it all. And really, what you got to see here is that Revelation chapter 13 
is the last 15 minutes of the movie. And, and you, you could sit here today and, and you could watch the last 15 minutes. And again, you, you learn a lot. It probably holds your interest and all of that because it is rather intriguing. But if somebody during the commercial break could just take a few minutes to dial you into some things, all of a sudden this thing's going to have a whole lot more value to you. And so the commercial is on right now, okay? And what we're going to do is I'm going to take just a couple of minutes right now to dial you into what's been happening for at least the last 6,000 years and all of the stuff that's been covered in the first 65 books of the Bible, okay? Because there's something major that's been taking place. And I want you to turn back with me, if you would, to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. A lot of you are very familiar with this, and yet there's probably a third of the people in this room that have never really actually gone back into this, this territory. And whether you know it or whether you don't, it'll help you immensely to have these things in your mind as we come through Revelation chapter 13 this morning. Okay, now, now understand, what I'm going to do right now is I'm giving you the crash course, okay? This is the cliff notes, if you will, of this thing. In fact, it's not even the cliff notes. It's the cliff notes of the cliff notes. Uh, what I'm telling you we're going to move real fast, and, and if you'll just collect the pieces, uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to have the time to prove all of these things by comparing Scripture with Scripture, but if you'll just collect the pieces, it'll all, it, it'll all take shape for you. But what we find in Ezekiel chapter 28 is that God created what would be the most incredible creation, the most incredible being of His entire creation. This one that he creates that we see here in Ezekiel 28 is one of the, the five cherubs that God created. The other, other four of those cherubs we saw when we were coming through Revelation chapter 4. They're the four beasts that are at the four corners of the throne. But initially, we find in the scripture there were five. But this one, this one of the five cherubs, this, this dude was incredibly special look at verse 11 it says that he sealed up the sum he was full of wisdom he was perfect in beauty and if you'll drop down to verse 14 it says that he was the anointed cherub and something that's just real interesting is that that word anointed is the old testament word for messiah the new testament word for messiah is christ now listen this is not the christ this is a created being the Lord Jesus Christ is not a created being. He has always existed. And he is the Christ. But you do need to understand, this is a Christ. This is a very, very incredible, very, very special creation of God. He is the anointed cherub. And on top of all of that, he was also incredibly special in the way that God made him. Verse 13, if you look at it, it says that he was made of every precious stone. Every precious stone was his covering. He was made up of, of jewels. And you can see there in, in, in verse 13 that, that he lists them there. Now check this out. He's made up of these jewels. His name, of course, is, is what? His name is Lucifer. The name Lucifer means light bearer. Anytime that you see God revealing himself in his full power and glory, he always shows up as incredible, blazing, blinding, what? Light. Here is one, this anointed cherub that is made up of these jewels. 
And he is the light bearer. Check that out. The light of God passes through this beam and is, it's refracted into every color of the rainbow and it goes into every dimension of the entire universe. It would have been an incredible sight to see this. And then verse 13 says not only was he made up of, of jewels, but he's also made up of musical instruments. The end of verse 13 says, The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. And when you cross-reference this with what you find in Job chapter 38, the first seven verses of that chapter, Job 38, what we find is that God made this very special creation with a very special commission. He was to bear the light of God and cast the light of God into every color of the rainbow throughout the entire universe. And while he did that, putting on this incredible display of the glory of God, he would play the music as angelic beings would sing praises to God. And he was literally the worship leader who led the angelic hosts to love God and to honor God and to praise God as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And one of the wildest things in all of the Bible is where he was when he carried out that ministry. You'll see at the, verse, the first part of verse 13, it says that he was in Eden, the garden of God. And according to Isaiah chapter 14, he carried out that ministry from Eden, the garden of God, listen, from a throne. A throne in Eden. But there came a day, according to verse 15, right here in Ezekiel 28, when iniquity was found in him. And verse 17 says that his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. There came a day where he started looking around and saying, you know what, nobody else looks quite like me. Nobody else has the power that I have. Nobody else is the anointed cherub. And he started thinking that he wasn't getting everything that he thought he deserved. And according to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, that iniquity manifested itself into an eye problem. Same eye problem that you and I have and every sinner on this planet has. Eye. Eye. And what it says in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. Now listen to it. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And listen to it. I will be like the most high. And now listen. From that point in the Bible, which chronologically, this would be at the very beginning of, 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 this is where the Bible actually begins. And from this point in the Bible, it's really nothing more. I mean, the whole story of the Bible is really nothing more than a battle over a throne. It's God moving to put His Son, the true Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's moving to put His Son on a throne in Jerusalem, in the exact location where an anointed cherub used to have a throne, and Jesus is going to sit on a throne in that exact same place, and while God's moving to put his son on that throne, the whole rest of the Bible is all about Satan doing everything within his power, not only to stop him, but to get himself back 
on that very same throne that he once held. And you see, once that iniquity was found in him, there were some, some major, major consequences to that. First of all, Lucifer lost his position as the anointed cherub. He lost his position as the anointed cherub, but now, now listen, don't ever lose sight of th this fact. Though he lost his position as the anointed cherub, he still possesses more power than any created being. Any of them. Next, he lost his throne on the earth. But don't ever lose sight of the fact that he is still the God of this world, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And then thirdly, he lost his name. And from this point in Scripture, he's no longer referred to as Lucifer, light bearer. Now, according to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, he is that old serpent called the devil and Satan, the words that mean adversary, the enemy of God. So he lost his name. He's no longer Lucifer, no longer the light bearer, but don't ever lose sight of the fact that he still transforms, him, transforms himself into an angel of what? Light. But the battle that's going on this morning, y'all, in the unseen world, you've got to understand this. If you're ever going to understand Revelation 13, it's a battle about a throne. And, 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 and please hear this. You and I are living right now at the time just before this whole battle is about to come to a head. And what makes all of this even more relevant, and, and as I prepare for this, and, and knowing the, the, the ground we're going to cover, I, I shudder through the week thinking about the fact that I'm going to be delivering this very message, talking about this very event that's going to be taking place here in the very near future. I, I'm going to be preaching the, these truths to people, some of the people in this room are going to be the very people that Revelation chapter 13 is talking about here. When this whole battle for the throne actually comes to a climax, unless some of you that are in this room will respond to the invitation of God in your life, you will carry out, you will be a prey for this false prophet that we're going to see this morning in Revelation chapter 13 and I'm telling you folks the world right now is I mean it is it's set like a stage for the final act of this drama to unfold I'm, all the actors are in the wings all the props are very carefully placed on the stage the only thing that's left to happen is for the curtain to be raised to get the whole thing unfolded and the curtain is going to be raised when the believers on this planet will be raptured that's when the curtains going to go up, and at that point, that final battle is going to begin to to unfold. And I'm telling you, the world is set right now for it to happen. And it's almost like, you know, when you go to a play, you know how, you know, they'll have that little intermission, they're going to come back, and it's the final act. And as it's getting ready to come, you know, you, everyone's doing their little thing, they're out in the foyer, and you know what they do? They kind of flick the lights to let you know it's about to happen. And I'm just telling you. Through everything that's going on in the world right now, I, it's almost like God is just kind of flicking the lights to let everybody know it's getting ready to come up, y'all. 
I'm getting ready to I'm getting ready to kick this thing into action. And so you 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 gotta you gotta understand when we come to Revelation chapter thirteen, and you can go there now. You gotta understand Revelation thirteen in light of that context, in light of all of that stuff that we were just just seeing there. Revelation chapter 13 is really the detailed account that God left of us, or left for us, of Satan's final attempt to get back that throne. And when you put all of this into the context of where this thing actually began and where it's been, I'm just telling you, it makes a whole lot more sense, the things that we're going to see here. Now, the way that this all ties together here, and the reason I wanted you to go back and, and, and see all, all of this is that though Lucifer lost his position, though he lost his throne, though he lost his name, there's one thing that he did not lose. He did not lose his desire to be like the Most High. I mean, that, that's one thing through all of time and eternity that has not changed. His desire to be like the Most High. And the bottom line reason he's always wanted to be like the Most High is this. He wants to receive the worship that the Most High receives. And you see, what Revelation chapter 13 actually is, is Satan's final attempt to be like the Most High. This is his final attempt to receive the worship that is reserved solely for the Most High. And you see, the way it shakes down is, is this. Since the Most High is manifested in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what we call the, the Holy Trinity, check this out. As this final act unfolds, how else would you expect for Satan to manifest himself, but in three persons. And we didn't have time to get into this last week as we were going through the description uh, of the person of the false prophet. But the false prophet, y'all, and get this into the, the flow here, the false prophet is the completion of the satanic or the unholy trinity. Now, back when we were in, in, in chapter 12, we were introduced to the first person of the satanic trinity and that was the dragon and he is the head of the satanic system he's he's the counterfeit if you will of god the father he's the counterfeit father or you could put in there the counterfeit god and if you look back for just a second verse 12 or, or chapter 12 and verse 9 you find out that the dragon is actually none other than satan Himself And verse 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And then we move out of chapter 12, and with the first 10 <coughs> verses of chapter 13, we're introduced to the beast. Okay, this is the second person of the satanic trinity. And, and what's important to see here is that the dragon <coughs> stands in relationship to the beast in the same way that God the Father stands in relationship to the Son or to the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as John chapter 6 and verse 57 says that God sent His Son into the world, the dragon, Satan, will send His Son into the world, the Son 
of perdition, John 17, 2 calls him. And just as God the Father has given all authority and power to Jesus Christ, his Son, you remember Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, and in the same way, the, the dragon, the anti-father, if you will, will give his power and authority to his son, the, the beast. And you see that right here in verse 2 of chapter 13. And you can see that verse 2 is talking about the beast. And, and look at the last part of the verse. And the dragon gave him, that's the beast, the antichrist, his power and his seat and great authority. So the first person of the satanic or unholy trinity is the counterfeit of God the Father. The second person of the satanic trinity is the beast or the counterfeit son, the anti-son or the anti-Christ. And listen, folks, you can mark it down, man. All of that, the hate that, that Satan has harbored for the Lord Jesus Christ through all time and eternity, he is going to unleash through the beast in the tribulation period. And the reason that he's going to do that is in order to blaspheme him. That's why the end of verse 1 of chapter 13 says that upon his heads was the name of blasphemy. And what will be so blasphemous about his appearance on this planet is the fact that he is going to pose to be Christ and will receive the worship that is only due him. But the third person of this satanic trinity is the one that's described here in verses 11 through 18. It's the, the second beast, which as we saw last week from this point on in the book of Revelation, is referred to as the false prophet. And he, of course, is the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit or the counterfeit spirit. And you'll see that very, very clearly as we move into the next point on our outline, and that is the determination of his purpose. The determination of his purpose. And we saw first the description of his person. Okay? And now our Lord reveals to us here through John the determination of his purpose. N now listen. Satan has at least two very specific purposes that he's determined to accomplish through the ministry of the false prophet. And as we might expect, since he is the third person of the counterfeit trinity, his ministry just happens to mirror the ministry that the Holy Spirit has. The purposes that God the Father determined to accomplish through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be able to see this morning that the false prophet is going to be the exact replica of that, only in a satanic form. First of all, the purpose of the, the false prophet as the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit will be to direct all to worship the Son. To direct all to worship the Son. And that, of course, is the false Son, the Son of Perdition, the Antichrist. But, but to really appreciate this, I want you to turn back with me to the Gospel of John for just a second. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, of course, Jesus is in the midst of a discourse that he's having with his disciples. He's explaining to them the fact that he is going to be crucified, he'll be buried, he'll rise again, and then shortly after that, that he is going to be uh, ascended back to the Father and that he'll no longer be with them. 
And in the midst of explaining all of this, he, he explains to him in verse 16 of chapter 14, look at it, he says that he will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And lest anybody get confused about who he was referring to when, concerning this comforter, he, he specifically spells that out in the very next verse, look at it, even the spirit of truth. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that he's talking about that will come as another comforter that will never leave them. And drop down to chapter 15. In verse 26, Jesus is still in the midst of explaining all of this, and he says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, and again he qualifies it for us, so we have no mistake about who he's referring to here. This is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, sent from the Father, and then he begins to give us a little bit of an idea of the kind of ministry that the Spirit was actually going to have when he came to this planet. He says at the end of verse, uh, at the end of the, the, the verse here, and he shall testify of me. Now, now listen, that is, he, he'll testify of me as opposed to himself. And if you doubt that that's the correct emphasis or the interpretation of what Jesus meant, drop down to chapter 16 and what Jesus said in verse 13. It says, how be it, when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. And drop down to verse 14. He shall glorify me, not himself. He'll direct people to worship me, to glorify me. He'll speak of me. He'll testify of me. Now, the reason I'm making this point here, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, which is really a very easy thing for me to do, but, now, now listen, the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing that point is that if you'll just let the Bible be the Bible, okay, and if you'll just believe the words that Jesus himself gave you, I, I'll tell you what, it, it'll simplify unbelievably, it'll simplify this whole issue of this whole charismatic thing that's going on that's caused so much chaos and division in the body of Christ in the last several decades. Because I don't care if you're a part of that movement, have been a part of it, and wondering about it, I, I, don't, I don't care who you are, you'll have to admit the fact that the whole movement is built on an emphasis of the, the Holy Spirit. I mean... All, turn on the radio, walk into uh, virtually any service that you want to from a charismatic background, and what are you going to hear? What are you going to hear that's going to be emphasized? It's going to be the Spirit this, the Spirit that, these gifts of the Spirit. You've got to have these gifts in the worship time. We worship you, Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. And, and it's all built around glorifying the Holy Spirit, and folks, it doesn't get any simpler than the way Jesus made it right here in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is saying here, okay, here's how you're going to know, okay, here's how you're going to know the presence of the Holy Spirit. He'll glorify me. Not himself, me. 
He'll talk about, not himself, he'll talk about me. He'll emphasize, not himself, he'll emphasize me. He'll put me in the spotlight, not himself. And, and listen, any spirit that does anything other than that, you know one thing for sure about it, it isn't the spirit of truth. It is exactly what is referred to in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6. If it's not the spirit of truth, it's the spirit of what? The spirit of error. And, and you see, Jesus makes this whole thing just, just real simple. And I'll just tell you, I've got a real hard time believing that the spirit of truth is giving some miraculous powers and gifts of the Spirit to a movement that proves by its very emphasis it's controlled by the spirit of error. I, I don't think that the Holy Spirit bypasses that fact and says, well, I, I know they're emphasizing me from that spirit of error, but I'm going to, oh man, I'm going to really give these people something that I don't give everybody else that's seeking me with all of their heart, soul, and mind, and strength that doesn't talk about those gifts. Okay, but the Holy Spirit's ministry, Jesus said, is characterized by directing the people of this world to worship the Son. Okay, now go back to Revelation chapter 13. Okay, when Satan anoints the false prophet to carry out his counterfeiting ministry, listen, it will be to direct worship to the counterfeit son or the beast. Look at verse 12. And he, that's the false prophet, exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth, here it is, here's his purpose, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. Now, and listen, Satan has watched how the Most High has operated down through the centuries and how it is that God the Father used the ministry of the Holy Spirit to direct worship to His Son. And what we see here is that in the last half of the tribulation period, as the battle for the throne is coming to a climax, Satan figures out that he's going to be most successful in getting all of the world to worship the person of the Antichrist, the son of perdition, if he'll follow the pattern that he's seen the Most High use effectively all down through the centuries to get the world to worship the true Christ. And so Satan uses the false prophet to counterfeit the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And here's the way that he does it. The false prophet comes and manifests, as does the Spirit, unbelievable power but the attention that he receives from that power he doesn't use to direct to himself he uses that power and the attention the acclaim that he gets from using those powers he uses that to direct the worship of the entire world to the beast to the false son and it's so important that you see that that's what's coming down. That's exactly what the Satan is going to do through this false prophet. That's his purpose, to direct all to worship the Son. Now, we're talking about the fact that he is a counterfeit of the Spirit. But I want you to understand that, that there's actually going to be a person. Just like the, there is going to be a literal person who is the Antichrist, there's going to be a literal person who is going to be 
the false prophet. His ministry will counterfeit that of the Holy Spirit. But I don't want you to think that it's just a, it's a wind or it's a, it's a, a spiritual force that's, that's full. It's going to be through a person. And I, I believe with all of my heart, I, I believe that this person right now is alive somewhere on this planet. I believe that as a, with the ministry that we're going to see that he's going to have during this period of time, I believe that right now not only is he alive, I bet you that he is already in a key position as a re religious leader. And I'm not trying to be offensive to you, but my bet is, in light of the things that we're going to see in the book of Revelation, my bet right now is that he's somewhere right now in the College of Cardinals, and it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever is if this key religious leader isn't going to be the next one that is going to replace John Paul II. Now, again, I'm not going to die on, on, on this hill, but I do know according to what we're going to see when we get to Revelation chapter 17, that the woman or the religious system that rides the beast or the Antichrist is none other than the Roman Catholic Church, and who better to direct the worship of that system toward the beast than the one that that system already recognizes as their religious leader. And again, I, I, I'm not going to die on that hill, and if you want to contest that, that's absolutely fine. I, I'm really, I really, I'm cool with that. It's all speculation. But whoever this false prophet will be, his ministry will be to counterfeit the Holy Spirit. But right now, now uh, make sure that you get this, right now, his ministry has not yet taken that form. Right now, he is not the false prophet. That's something that is going to take place during the, the second half of the tribulation period. And, and I say all of that right now because I want to make sure that everybody in this room understands this. Though the false prophet is not revealed, and though he is, at this point is not actually carrying out the, the ministry of a, a satanic spirit, I do want to make sure that everybody in this room understands the fact that according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, that there is right now, before this tribulation period thing ever starts, there is right now, at this very second, a counterfeit spirit that's operative in the world that is under the jurisdiction and power and control of Satan himself. And listen, what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 says is that if you have never placed your faith in trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to be the Lord of your life, what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 says is that that spirit is already working in you. It's already here, and it's already working in you. You see, now, now listen, the, the false prophet, his purpose is going to be to get all the world to worship the counterfeit son. But the purpose of the satanic spirit that is operating in the world right now, his purpose through that spirit is simply to direct all the world to worship anything but the true son. That's what he's trying to do. And, and what you need to understand this morning is that every human being on this planet is a worshiper. 
They are a worshiper. In fact, I'm telling you, one of the greatest proofs that there is a true God, which is Jehovah God, the Creator God, the God of the Bible, is that very simple fact. The fact that every human being on this planet is a worshiper. And no matter where you go in this world, everywhere you go, you are going to find people who are worshiping. And the reason for that is when God created the first man and the first woman, what the Bible says is that they were created in the likeness of God. What was God like? He was three and yet he was one. And God said, when we make man, he'll, we'll make him like that. And so God made us as human beings three and yet one, a body, a soul that will live forever, and a spirit. He placed inside that first man and that first woman a spirit. When they chose sin, listen, they died spiritually. You see, the spirit was that part of them that in the cool of the day would come and worship God. It was the part that fellowshiped with God. And when that part of them died, when they died spiritually, it created a vacuum, a vacuum that was passed on to every single person who has ever been born on this earth other than the Lord Jesus Christ because of his virgin birth. But what? because we have this vacuum inside of us, listen, that is what directs every single one of us to worship something. Somebody here is going to most definitely say, well, what about the atheist? Or I'm an atheist and I, I, hey, I don't worship nothing, buddy. Yeah, you do. What the Bible says is that, you know, the, the object of worship is not always an idol or the God of heaven or anything like that. We are very, very capable, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, to worship ourselves. We worship pleasure. We worship self. We worship money. We worship this present evil worship uh, world. But we're all worshipers. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 says that the prince of the power of the air, the, the, the spiritual power of Satan, is operating right now in your life to keep you from worshiping the true Christ, from worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I want to I tell you this, and I, I'm, now listen, I'm not, I'm not telling you this to, because I want to tick you off. I'm, I'm not telling you this because I want to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm not telling you this because, you know, we're into scare tactics around here. I'm not trying to scare you, but your very presence here this morning, I feel like I owe you something. I feel like I owe you a warning. And the warning is this, that listen, that spirit that's operating right now in your life, that's keeping you from receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, if right now in a service such as this, you'll turn off the Holy Spirit of God, which the Bible says He promised that when this book is being proclaimed, what the Spirit of God does is He takes that to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And listen, if you'll turn off the Spirit's voice in your life and you'll keep listening to the Spirit of Satan that's trying to keep you from worshiping him when it's all said and done you'll find yourself in Revelation chapter 13 you'll find yourself as one who is worshiping none other than Satan himself through the person of the Antichrist that's where this whole thing 
is, is moving. And again, I, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to, to scare you into getting saved. Now, I, I'm just telling you that the Spirit of God today is trying to convince you that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, He took your sin and wants to remove that sin. And when you'll call upon His name, that sin can be removed. You'll have a relationship with God. He'll move into your dead spirit. That's why Jesus called it in John chapter 3 and verse 3, being born again. He wants to bring you back into what you were created to be at the very beginning, but if you'll turn that off, I promise you, not because I'm a Baptist preacher and this is what our church believes, but because this is what this book says, you will be a worshiper of Satan in the person of the Antichrist. And, I, and listen, I, I heavy, heavy stuff to say, and I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true and if it wasn't what this book clearly says is going to take place. But the purpose of, of the false prophet is that Satan is going to use him to direct all to worship the Son. But Satan has at least one other key purpose that he's determined to accomplish through this counterfeit or unholy spirit. And that is to seal the worshipers of the Son. To seal the worshipers of the Son. And I'm wording it like that to emphasize to you the likeness of His ministry to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And before I show you this in Revelation chapter 13, let me take you back just a second to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and by the time you get down to verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul's talking about the fact that, that God's whole purpose in placing His church in Christ, a very key phrase, is that so that we could be to the praise of the glory of His grace. And to do that, He had to make us accepted in the Beloved. Listen, before you could ever be a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, something had to happen to you because we were sinful human beings. We did not have the ability nor the desire to be a worshiper of the true Christ. And what it says is that He made us, I love it, accepted in the Beloved. And He did that, verse 7, by redeeming us through His Blood And by His blood, we received the forgiveness of sins. But, but not only did we obtain forgiveness, drop down to verse 11. Verse 11 says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. You see, that's something that has ramifications toward the future. Go on in verse 11. Being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, or worshipers, true worshipers, who first trusted in Christ. So check this out. He, he says here that the thing that guarantees our inheritance, the, the thing that guarantees our salvation, the thing that assures us that we'll never get out of Christ once we've been placed into Christ, is that the instant we first trusted in Christ, and look at verse 13, he begins by reminding us that we trusted Christ because we heard the word of truth, just like many of you are hearing here today, the gospel of our salvation, and we believed it. Now listen, 
then the guarantee of our salvation, the guarantee of our inheritance is that after we trusted Christ, look at the end of the verse, we were sealed with that spirit of promise. Now, now listen, I don't have the promise of my salvation because I hold out faithful to the end. I have the promise of salvation because I was placed into the Lord Jesus Christ by His blood. And once I was placed into Christ, He says, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now listen, if you think you're bad enough to get me out of Christ, then go ahead and give it a shot, but you ain't that bad. And, and listen, once I, I was placed into Christ, He sealed that thing with the Holy Spirit. And so now I've been made a worshiper, a true worshiper, to give praise to His glory. I, I can't lose the, this thing because I didn't do anything to earn it. I was placed into Christ, and after he, I, I was placed into Him, He sealed me with the Holy Spirit. But now listen, the counterfeit spirit, the unholy spirit, according to Revelation chapter 13, also has a seal for those that He directs to be worshipers of the counterfeit Christ. Revelation chapter 13, look at verse 16. And He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. It doesn't matter who you are, what position you hold, how much money you got in the bank, what the people of this world think about you, it doesn't matter. You, you become a worshiper of this false beast, this false prince, this anti-son. And the false prophet will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. In the same exact way that we, as the worshipers of the true Son, are sealed with the Spirit of God, the false prophet has got a seal that he is going to use that will seal the destiny of every worshiper of the false son. You say, well, you know, and we'll get more on that in just a minute, but, you know, I know how, what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, you know, it's one thing that, that Satan's got these purposes that you know, he's determined that he's going to accomplish the false prophet, but, I mean, come on. How in the world is he actually going to get the whole world to worship this man, to worship this beast, and, and if he could get him to do that, after he got him to do that, how in the world is he going to get him to take his mark? And that's the third thing that John shows us here. The deception of his power. The deception of his power. So we move from the description of his person to the determination of his purpose to the deception of his power. You see, now, now listen, don't, don't forget about that power that Satan has that we talked about at the very beginning. And, and now listen, he has got centuries and centuries now of experience in using that power to deceive people to accomplish his purposes. And he's going to use those powers 
through the, the false prophet, uh, false prophet, first of all, to blind mankind. He'll use those powers to blind mankind. Look at verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. Now, now listen, if you've been here for our study of the book of Revelation, you know that that is quite a statement. Because you'll remember, when we were coming through this composite of the, the first beast, we, we saw that, that his power is, I mean, it's incredible. What we saw is that his power will make him an absolute genius in just about every conceivable area of life. We saw, do you remember? We saw that he was going to be an intellectual genius, an oratorical genius, a political genius, a commercial genius, a military genius, a religious genius. And John says here that the false prophet will be every bit of that. He's going to have all of the power that the first beast had. And I thought that was pretty incredible. He'll have all the power of the first beast and watch how the rest of verse 12 says he'll use it. He'll use it to cause the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Look at verse 13. And he doeth great wonders. I mean, here's more of his incredible power. He is going to pull off, y'all, some incredible miracles. Check this out. So that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And watch this now, verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. How? By the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. The deception of his power. He's got, listen, this guy. He is going to be such a smoothie. Such a religious guy with such incredible power and when the world sees him display that power now, now, and listen satan has found out in the last several decades just how easy it is to deceive people in these last days with so-called miracles i mean it, it's amazing the stuff he can get people to believe when they think they have seen a miracle and what we find is when the battle for that throne is at its peak, he's going to give this false prophet incredible miracles. And listen, on that day, it, you know, it's not going to be bringing people up on a stage and healing them of migraine headaches and lower back pain and, you know, getting them to convulse on, on the floor of the platform, and, you know, real cool stuff like that. No, listen, when this guy comes on the scene, it'll be big stuff. It'll be raising the dead like the case of the, the Antichrist, the false prophet, I mean the false messiah. It'll be, as he says here, it'll be causing fire to come billowing out of heaven to the earth. And the world is going to be watching all of this and be just absolutely standing in awe of him. And when they see this miraculous power, they'll know that he must be, he must be of God. And listen, they'll see the mighty demonstration of his power you get it? What they see will blind them to who he really is and Satan's purposes through him. Through him. And they'll blindly listen 
to whatever he says. And I'm telling you, it's, it's not a real difficult thing to see how this is going to happen because we see it all over the place already. This is, I mean, it, you, you've seen the foreshadowing of it on television. Watch it tonight. It's just a foreshadowing of what you're seeing right here in this passage. And listen, here's that miraculous power. And once he's got their attention, and, and, and once he's got their, their following from these miracles, he knows at that point that now, now he's got their ears. And watch what verse 14 tells us he'll say to them. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Here it is now. Saying to them that dwell on the earth. Okay, now remember. The son, the false son, the first beast, the Antichrist, has risen from the dead at this point. Now the false prophet comes on the scene. He's got all the power of the first beast with all these miracles. He's risen from the dead now. And so now he comes before the whole world. Now that he's got their ear, and he says, you know what y'all ought to do? You ought to make, look at what it says, an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Listen, you've heard about this all of your life, haven't you? That the Messiah would rise from the dead? Now it's time that we all become worshipers of him. And at this point, what it says in the book of 2 Thessalonians is that the Antichrist comes in to the temple in Jerusalem and he sits down on a, on a throne. And you see, that's why I was wanting to make sure that you understood. The whole issue has always been about a throne and Satan has always wanted to get that throne back. And he knows the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to get on that throne. And he, he rises from the dead, empowered by Satan and the spirit of Judas himself. He goes into the temple, sits down on that throne. And the false prophet, with his miraculous power, says, Now listen, you can't all come to Jerusalem and worship at his feet. So make an image to the beast. This one who has risen from the dead, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And if my speculation about the false prophet is right, now, now listen, to make an image to this one who is raised from the dead really wouldn't be a far stretch because they've got images right now in that same exact system to the true Christ who rose from the dead along with images of everything else that will take you right back to where the whole thing was conceived, that whole system, right back at the Tower of Babel. So listen, for this guy to come and say, hey, listen, you need to make an image to this one man. No big deal. And check this out. I mean, if there's ever be any doubt as to whether or not that image should be worshipped, the false prophet is going to dispel that because verse 15 says that he'll use his power to give life, check this out, unto the image of the beast. You say, well, what do you mean he'll give life to the image of the beast? The image is going to take on human characteristics. Verse 15 says that this image of the beast is actually going to, going to speak. And, and buddy, listen, he'll definitely have a following then. I mean, the world would be so convinced 
that the beast is worthy of worship, then the, the false prophet can institute just about anything that he wants, and he will. And, and the, that leads to the, the next thing. First, he'll use his power to blind mankind. That's through the miracles. And then second, he'll use his power to bind mankind. The middle of verse 15 says that he'll cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Listen, if you weren't convinced that you ought to do this just through the power that you see and because you believe that he really is the Messiah, well, maybe you'll change your tune if you find out that you'll get the death penalty if you don't do it. And, and I mean, listen, folks, this is how determined Satan is to receive the worship that is intended for God. We saw where it began in the first place, and this is the end. It's finally coming down to the place to where during the tribulation period, either you worship Him, or you'll be killed. And let me just take you over, to, to, or well, just stay here for just a second. Your willingness to worship the image of the beast, or to worship this beast, once you're willing to do that, and once you have worshipped him, this is where he wants to seal your destiny for you. Verse 16 says that the false prophet will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and to make sure you can't bypass receiving that mark. Verse 17 says that he's going to implement a plan globally that no man, no man, count them, no man might buy or sell. Okay, that's any kind of transaction at, 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 at all. Any, any way to make money or any way to spend money. You can't make it and you can't spend it. Save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You, you'll have to have the mark to buy or sell. And to receive the mark, what do you got to do? You've got to worship. You've got to worship the beast or his image. And once you've done that, you'll have to identify yourself to him as a worshiper by taking his mark or his name or the number of his name. A lot of you probably shop at Bueller's, and you know how, you know, you're coming through, you get all your stuff on the on the counter, and they say, would you like to use your Advantage card today? And so you hand them the card, what do they do? They swipe that little gig. When you come to Bueller's in the next several years on this thing, rather than action you for your card, they'll say, could I scan your, your hand or your forehead? And if you're not in the computer, sorry, no lunch. You've got to have the mark. And evidently, it'll be some, I, I believe, some kind of computer chip that'll be placed in your hand or in your forehead. I, I mean, I don't think everyone's going to be walking around with big six, six, six up on the top of your head. I think it'll be just, you know, simple little thing. And, and it's all networked into one computer that the beast has, the false prophet has. And listen, if you don't take that mark, once you come through and they, you're not in their computer, you'll be killed. 
you'll be turned over immediately to be killed. And just to show you how humane the world actually is right now at this period of time, and recognize that what we're talking about here is something that is going to take place, I believe, from everything the Bible says, within the next couple of years. And just to show you just how far we've come as human beings, I want to show you that this death, that people will die because they did not take this mark. Go to chapter 20. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, it's not like, you know, they're going to take you out and, you know, put you in front of the firing squad. It's not like they're going to take you out and, you know, put you in an electric chair or, you know, throw you in the gas chamber. That would be far too humane, far too civil. John chapter 20 and verse 4 says, John says, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands you see this is your choice in the tribulation period you worship the beast and take his mark or you have your stinking head lopped off that's the way the things coming coming down the final form of capital punishment in the world, folks, is going to be death by decapitation. And you see, that's what I was telling you. If, if you come to Revelation chapter 13 and you don't understand this thing in light of its biblical context, you can never really make heads or tails out of this, but Satan is so bent on receiving the worship that the Most High receives. He, in the final act, is going to kill Every person who will not worship Him. And all He's doing here is he's, ju he's just carrying out the same religious purposes, the same rebellious purposes that He exercised way back in the garden when He said, Hey, I, I think y'all ought to worship Me. It's, it's just, it's the, this is just the final expression of that same old desire. And through this thing, through the way it's coming down in Revelation chapter 13, he is finally going to receive the worship of millions and millions and millions of people who are upright, many of them moral citizens of our own country, people who are alive on this planet at this very time. And if you won't worship Him, the consequences is you'll have your head lopped off. But now listen, if you do worship the beast, if you do take his mark, you need to understand there's some pretty heavy-duty consequences for that too. And if you can believe it, they're 10 trillion times worse than if you don't take the mark. Because you see, now, now listen, you need to understand this, okay? Please listen. To worship the beast or his image and to take his mark. From God's vantage point, y'all, it is the absolute ultimate act of blasphemy for mankind. You are created to have a love relationship with him and be a worshiper of him. And when you bow your knee to that image or to that beast, you are worshiping Satan the adversary and it's the crowning act of blasphemy 
And listen, once you take that mark, and Satan is going to do everything within his power to seal you as one of his followers, and Satan knows that as soon as you take that mark, he will have forever sealed your destiny, your destiny and forever separated you from a righteous, holy, loving, gracious, forgiving God. But you do need to understand the consequences of taking this mark. Look at chapter 14. And look at verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he, that is he that takes that mark and worships that beast, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. That's the destiny. That's what Satan is wanting to seal you to. That type of destiny. Draw, go, go over to chapter 16. And look at verse 1. He says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And drop down to verse 11. And they blasphemed God. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. I mean, listen, if you want to find out how absolutely obstinate man really is when the judgment of God is being poured out upon the earth, rather than, than looking to heaven and repenting and saying, be merciful to me, forgive me. God says people of this planet will look to him and flip him off. They'll blaspheme His name and they ain't about to repent of their deeds. And you know what is just so wild? Is that the people that we're talking about here, a lot of them are good, moral, religious people who are alive on this planet right now and have embraced a system of religion that goes by the name of Christian. 
but it's all a facade. Revelation 2.9 calls it the synagogue of Satan. This is the way he has always operated to use his powers to make people think that they're following Christ so that he can seal their destiny so that they never receive the true Christ. I, I, I look out, you know, at some of you people. I, I watch TV and I meet a lot of the wonderful people that live in our own community. And I think to myself, how in the world, after all of this, and, and the, they see the, all this stuff happening in the tribulation, how in the world would they shake their fist and flip God off like this? How will it happen? You know how it happens? It happens the same way that it happens in this room. You see, what God said is that when, when this book is proclaimed, just this book, without all the barnacles of man's thinking and tradition and religion, when the book goes out, the Spirit of God takes that to people's hearts and He convicts them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And, and listen... If you can sit in a service as the book is proclaimed, listen, I, I know, I'm not a great preacher. Never claimed to be. All I know is God laid a claim in my life one day and said, you preach that book. And, and that's all I've tried to do today. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that if you, if you, after this incredible discourse that I have given to you for the last 15 hours, if after this you can turn a deaf ear to it, and, well, uh, you'll do that. No. But, as the Spirit of God has taken His Word and has done His job of convicting you of sin and righteousness and of judgment, if you can turn that off, that will be the very same thing that causes you in Revelation chapter 16, once God begins to pour out His judgment, to continue to refuse to repent. Somebody told some of our folks last week, yeah, they, they try to use scare tactics down there at the Baptist. Am I become your enemy, Jesus said, because I tell you the truth? <laughs> when you go to the doc, do you want the doc to tell you when you eat up with cancer and you do have a chance, do, do, you, do you want him to tell you? I believe you're doing fine. Doing just fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. I, I mean, what would you think about a doctor that told you that when he knew something different? And I, I, I'm asking you, what would you think about a preacher who knew what's getting ready to unfold on this planet? Not because I'm real smart, but just because God left it for us in a book. What would you think about a preacher then? You came in and you listened to a message when they were talking about this, and they just patted you on the head and said, no, just continue to go on your way. You can be all right. It ain't going to be a high. The Bible says that he commands all men everywhere to repent. And the reason he commands all of us to do that is because we're all sinners. And there's nothing whatsoever we can do about our sin. You can't be religious enough. 
So now listen. This, and this is what is so difficult. Because some of you are religious. You've been blinded and you think you're okay. The greatest blinder in the world that Satan has used, and we've seen this morning, is going to use, is religion. You better, you better listen. Jesus is not looking for you to be religious. He's not looking for you to do religious things. He's not looking for you to do religious rituals, go through religious ceremonies, burn religious candles, get in religious water, have religious water thrown on you. That's not the issue. The issue is you've got a dead spirit. And it ain't Jack Diddley you can do about it. Not one thing. You can't go to enough churches. You can't be good enough. Nothing is going to cause your dead spirit to be brought to life. That's the issue. You've got to be born again. It's got to come to life. And the only way that it happens is when you'll come to the place in your life to where you say, where, you, where your will is submitted and you're saying, I know I'm helpless. I know there's nothing I can do. I've tried religion. I've tried the good works thing. And now I understand it's not my works. It's the work that you did when you died on the cross and were buried and rose again. And today, I'm trusting that and that alone. Not the Baptist church, not the Methodist, the Presbyterian, the Catholic, the whatever it would be. I'm not trusting my baptism. I'm not trusting my catechism. I'm not trusting the communion that I received. I'm not trusting anything other than what you did through your death, burial, and resurrection. And I come before you and I lay my life down and say, take me, I'm yours. The minute you do that, bam! Welcome back. Some of you are us. <laughs> the moment you do that, that dead spirit is brought to life by the power of the Spirit of the living God. That's the issue. That's what this thing is all about. And yet Satan has a spirit that's operative right now to just keep you being religious, keep you in your good works, He's keeping you right where you are. So that in the tribulation period, He can get you to bow at His feet. And He'll seal your destiny for all eternity. See what I'm talking about? It's a battle over a throne. And Jesus is looking for you today to take self off of the throne and say, Lord Jesus, come sit on the throne of my life. I trust you and you alone. Let's pray. And now, Lord, would you please, in your, in your loving grace, would you please help in people's minds to, to have removed the, the human element of, of a loud, long preacher. And I pray that the Spirit of God would do His work in them. Open their eyes. May they no longer be blinded by the God of this world. 
pray that today they would respond in obedience to the Spirit as He even now convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Oh God, do Your work and please let let people today before it's too late let them respond may they say yes to your spirit as it works today and with our heads still bowed if right now God is speaking to your heart about your need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior in just a, a few moments, our service is going to be concluded. And, and right now, this is a, such a key time for you because there is a battle that's raging over a throne. And you've got the time right now to contemplate what you will do with Christ. Whether today you'll relinquish all of you to Him. And if today you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, we would love the opportunity of, of taking you to the Word of God and showing you today how you can call upon the name of the Lord and how He'll save you. We're not asking you to join this church, please. Oh, We're not asking you to become a Baptist. We're not, we're not asking you to become religious. We're not asking you to turn over a new leaf. We're asking you to respond to what God is inviting you to, a relationship with Himself through what Jesus Christ did when he died for you on the cross. And our pastors are going to remain up at the front of this room as our service is concluded. And it's our invitation for you to respond, to, to, to come to, to Jesus Christ today. And, and we beg of you before you walk out and just go back into the flow of life and try to act like this is not reality. Why not submit today? You say, I'm scared. Well, you know what? If you'll just respond, you'll no longer have to be scared. <laughs> but, but the truth is, there, there's plenty of things to fear. Unless you respond in obedience. And, and today, if God's tugging at your heart, respond in obedience. And oh God, please <clears throat> give them the courage to do that. And Lord, help us to those of you, uh, us that know you, to realize that the issue is and has always been worship. And may we be true worshipers who from holy lives seek to yield ourselves to your feet every single day of our life. May we be the worshipers that you've intended us to be to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.